This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. Your holy presence living in me. This is my daily bread. This is my daily bread. Your very word spoken to me.
December 8th from 6 to 8 p.m. Everyone is invited to come and share the gospel with the people coming to the plaza for Winter Fest. Flyers will be available for this outreach having a gospel presentation on one side and an invitation to the church's initiative celebration on the other. Live music will also be provided by CBC's Music and Arts Ministry. We hope that you'll consider joining us as we go about sharing the true light with El Paso. Hi ladies. It's hard to believe that Christmas is just around the corner, but it is, which means the women's Christmas tea is Friday, December 1st. What a great way to set the tone for the Christmas holidays. If you are interested in buying a ticket or purchasing a table, the tickets are $10 each. If you would like to purchase a table and decorate it, please contact Pam McClatchy at 915-892-4043. You can also call the church office or Pam for individual tickets. We will have childcare the night of the tea, but you must register through the church office. We hope to see you on Friday, December 1st at 6.30 p.m. That's all we have for announcements this week. Let's continue to worship the Lord together. Good morning. Good to see all of you here to the worship of the Lord. And if you are a guest and have never completed the guest piece, when you open your bulletin on the far right-hand side and you open the flap, you'll see there's a request for information about you so that we can make a contact with you. If you'd be good enough to fill that out, I would appreciate it as would others in the church so we can get to know you better and minister to you more effectively. And so... Please take that form, fill it out, put it in the offering plate when we receive the offering, or there are offering boxes at each exit. You can put them there. And really the best way is to go through the doors to my right and your left, and immediately to your left, what you'll find is there's someone behind the welcome desk who will give you a gift in exchange for that information. Don't get too excited about the gift. It, it's a gift. <laughs> But don't look a gift horse in the mouth, okay? <laughs> but we are happy to have you here with us today. And also we're happy to have Vicki Mihalov. Vicki, if you'll come, please, and share a very important announcement regarding the family ministry known as FAM. It'd be better for you to go so you can be... Hi, good morning. I'm Vicki Mihalov, as Pastor said. It's been about a year and a half since we last had the privilege to share about our family advocacy ministry, or we call it FAM for short. So as you all know, scripture mandates us to care for orphans. But how do we do that? Is there anybody here who's actually visited an orphanage? Yeah? Okay, lots of you. Um, we're gonna actually hear from um, Pastor Smith shortly about his orphanage. I encourage you to support foreign orphanages, Rancho Los Amigos, where my husband and I serve, or Pastor Smith's orphanage, or any other that you have a connection with. But what about here in El Paso? Do we have orphans in El Paso? Yes. Yeah? Especially if we define orphan as kids without family, kids not living with family or parents. In fact, there are over 400 of such kids right here in El Paso County. The average foster kid lives in six different foster homes in the two years they spend in the system. Can you imagine six homes, six parents, six schools in two years? You can see what kind of trauma that causes. 
We at FAM, the volunteers at FAM, our hearts are broken over the shortage of foster homes in El Paso. It really is critical. So much so that when uh, families with multiple siblings are, lose their children for good reason, whether it be permanently or temporarily, oftentimes these siblings are separated. Maybe there's only a foster home that has room for two kids and a third or fourth sibling has to get sent to Houston or Dallas or Midland, Odessa because there just is no place here. So can you imagine being separated from your siblings and your parents and your school? Or what's even worse is oftentimes kids are put in a hotel room. There is no place to send the kids. So picture yourself as a child taken from your parents whom you love and put in a hotel room with two or three other foster kids who you've never met and every four hours a different caseworker comes to sit with you. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, except when you're at school and then you're back from school and it's a whole nother caseworker. So I'm not actually here as a recruiting talk for fostering, although if you're feeling the tug for that, please do talk to me after service or Pastor Samuel. Is Pastor Samuel here this morning? He's working in another part of the building. Okay, so Pastor Samuel and his wife Rebecca actually have fostered several kids and just this week their second uh, adoption became final. They actually did foster to adopt. So, but that's not why I'm here to talk today. So, um, aside from fostering or adopting or, or sponsoring a foreign orphan, financially supporting a foreign orphanage, what can each of us do as Jesus commands to serve the orphans? That's where your CBC FAM care community shine. Did you guys know that most new foster parents don't last a year? Most new, 52% of new foster parents only make it, not, not even make it a year. And when asked why, they say because they feel alone and unsupported. So in churches all across the US, FAM ministries like ours are helping thousands of Christian foster families to foster longer. While most new foster parents throw in the towel before one year, 90% of families with a care community assigned to them go on to foster for multiple years, 90%. So a care community is like extended family for foster parents. It's a team of six to nine people whose common mission is to support their assigned foster family. This lightens the burden of the foster parents so they're able to go the distance and so these precious kids from hard places don't get bounced from home to home to home. If you can find as little as three hours a month, not a week, a month, three hours a month, God can use you in our fam. So who am I talking to this morning? First, anyone who's already signed up for the fam ministry, I'm really excited to say that we have a new family who's reached out to us, a new foster family who has asked for support. They have three kids of their own and a foster child, a three-year-old foster child, and they've been fostering for a while, but they're approaching burnout. So they heard about our ministry and they're asking for a care community. So if you're already signed up, reach out to me in the foyer and I'll let you know about this new family. If you're not signed up, I'd ask you to consider it. So who, who might be a good fit for this ministry? Do you have kids of your own? This is a great family ministry. Once or twice a month, take your kids and the children from the foster home to the park or the zoo or anywhere you just normally take your kids, 
but this time do it with the foster kids in tow as well. Be a great way to show your kids how they can minister even as children. Or are you single? Or maybe you're like me and your children are all grown. There's no special skills needed other than can you draw, play with Barbies, color, or how about play video games? What if kids are not your thing? That's the case for some people, right? Little kids are not their thing. So are you gifted with leadership skills to use for the kingdom? We have leadership openings in the ministry. How about cooking? Do you like to cook? What about making a meal once a month, freezing it like a casserole, freezing it, bringing it here to church Sunday morning, and then we can deliver that to the foster family, or you can deliver it, and the mom won't have to cook and clean up and chop one day a week. There are 10 different ways you can serve foster families and help them foster longer so these children aren't bounced from home to home. So come catch me in the foyer after service, or um, uh, Rachel is gonna be in this side foyer with brochures, flyers, to talk about the different ways. We'd love to share with you more. There's a way for everyone to be able to serve and support kids, orphans, in foster families. Thank you. Thank you. This morning, we are happy to have another guest who is from Bangalore, India. Reverend Thompson Smith has been in our church probably over a dozen times during the last 25 years. He's a friend of ours. I have gone twice to his ministry there in Bangalore. And Pastor Dan and Jenny spent six months there. One year. One year. Okay, I'm off. One year. So at any rate, he's going to share a little with us about his ministry. We're going to see a video, and then after that, he's going to share a story about what has recently happened regarding the orphanage that he is ministering in. I will say this, his primary mission is not orphanages, although that is a big part of what he does. His ministry is to find the young men who are called by God to be evangelists and church planters. And since his ministry began, now it's been 45 years that he has been leading this ministry in response to God's call in his life. There now are 248 churches under his leadership. And God is blessed immensely through that ministry. We're going to see this video, and then he's going to share a story. Thank you. Thank you. 
Praise the Lord. Uh-huh. We say in India, Stotram. Stotram. And we thank God for this opportunity. Lot of things are there and my time is limited. India has a persecution today. A persecution goes to a level where in three month time, in a place called Manipur, 351 churches were burned. Some of the places, they enter into the worship places, they beat everyone, the believers, and they make the pastor and his wife naked, take them to the street. The police people will stand there and watch it. And the politicians will back up that. As such, as such, in the midst of persecution, what to do? It's a question. And uh, in this ministry, you saw a school premises which says Hannah English Upper Primary School, which is from kindergarten to seventh grade. And there you saw a signboard which says Will uh, Randag. He came and spoke with our pastors in that place, that school campus. Today that campus is not with us. The academic year in India starts in June and it ends in the month of April, next year. In that school, last year, in the month of November, I ap applied to the government by saying that we wanted to make this school as an high school, which means seventh grade to 10th grade. The inspections authorities came and they inspected that place and they gave a very good report stating the classrooms are in good condition and you have a fan to rotate the hair and the toilet and the ground, playground and the stage, other things are very good. When we finished this academic year in the month of April on 29th of this year, after the school is over, the Hindu militants, along with the government authorities, came with the bulldozer and bulldozed this entire campus. Now that campus is not with us. Now what to do? I went to the district collector of Andhra Pradesh in Chitur and spoke to him and used all God-given education and influences. He says, within 15 minutes, 15 days, I will settle your matter. Till this day, we never got any kind of a reply from him. We can't go against him to the court because he himself is a, is a magistrate of that district. As such, the Hindu militants went and told the school is no more. The reason for the Hindu militants attacking our, our school is this. When I baptize a believer, after he is accepting Christ, it takes six months and I teach him and teach those believers. After six months, I'll come and ask them, tomorrow you wanted to obey the Lord in baptism? Yes, sir. Day after tomorrow you have to die because anything will happen because you profess Jesus Christ. You know what they say? Even if death comes, we follow Jesus Christ. There I baptize them. After I baptize them, I give them a copy of a Bible, saying that this Bible 
which is God's word, is permanent. I may change, this evangelist and pastor may change, but God's word will not change. As such, whatsoever this book says, you to do it, do it, do it. Whatsoever this book says not to do it, don't do it. They all come with the Bible to the church, but they do not know to read and write. Where God led me to start this school? Started this school, and 71 children are there today, and this happened. Now what do you say? I read Bible, 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, and the eighth verse says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. And we are encouraged by God's word. And what happened is, when one door is closed, God opened seven doors. <laughs> we started the school academic year in a rented building. As it is a village place, there is no big buildings available. The Hindu militants went and announced the Christian school is no more. And I told God, now what to do? We are not going to live and go. God showed me a warehouse, which is very old. There now the school is running. Not only the school is running, the Lord did a miracle. You know what is that miracle is? When there is no building, when there is no own place to give an address, the government of Andhra Pradesh gave us a recognition of uplifting or from 7th grade to 10th grade, we call it upgradation and gave a recognition of a high school. Mm -hmm. And I need to apply for a renewal of that affiliation for one and only year. I applied for it. The government gave us. God used that government authorities to give us the recognition for, recognition renewal for eight years. Now that high school is recognized and it can run for eight years. Mm. A prayer request on that is this. In order to keep that school running, I need two things. One, we need to bring uh, 150 children as a strength for that school. Because that is a minimum for an high school to continue, you need to have 150 children. Pray so that the Lord will enable us to bring 150 children. We have 71 children more. 71 children now, the more children need to be brought. The second thing is this. These children come from uh, village places, not having uh, money to pay their fees, and not able to buy their books. As such, uh, we need some people who can sponsor these children. Monthly with $35, which will go a long way of educating these children, where we can get a good teachers. And my prayer and expectation is that in the next five years, this high school will be recognized as a junior college. Mm. And pray for us, because that is the biggest ministry, I think, if you educate one child in your family, you are educating the whole family. And those children are led to Jesus Christ 
and they go back to their houses and to the village as the representative of Jesus Christ. We are persecuted in all the ways and they interfere in our churches and where the baptism services are in trouble. But by the grace of God, we were able to baptize in our churches one place 20 believers, another place 31 believers, another place 8 believers, another place 11 believers, another place 27 believers, another place 33 believers, another place 38 believers, the other church 18 believers, one more church 5 believers, another church 12 believers, and one more church 48 believers, and one more church 18 believers. We thank God for this opportunity of baptizing these believers to be a living witness for Jesus Christ. Amen. Pray for us. Thank you very much. Amen. Amen. I'm going to pray aloud for this man in his ministry and invite you to pray silently. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we know, Lord, that you love children and Lord, we pray that you would bring the 80 more that are necessary to open the school so all grades will be represented. Please provide the faculty who are able to teach not only the language of that particular part of India, but also, Father, can teach English. I would ask that you would speak to hearts who are present this day in this service and or in the service to come who might be willing to go for a three-month stint there to teach alongside the ministry of our dear brother, Reverend Thompson Smith. Meet every need they have, spirit, soul, and body. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Afterwards, when the service concludes... Reverend Thompson Smith will be in the foyer and he'll be happy to visit with you. He can give you information. If you want to adopt an orphan for $35 a month, you can do that. And if you simply want to pray for his ministry, you can get more information about it. Thank so thank you, brother. Thank you. God Praise bless you. We're happy to have you here today. Also, we're going to recognize our new members. Chris, you want to come join me? Jimmy, you want to come join me? Excellent. These two men. Anybody else who's completed our new member class? Jimmy Ortega and Chris Munoz. Let's read our covenant. <coughs> you can read along with the three of us if you choose. Having received Christ as my Lord and Savior and been baptized, and being in agreement with CBC's statement, strategy, and structure, I now feel led by the Holy Spirit to unite with the CBC church family. In doing so, I commit myself to God and to the other members to do the following. I will protect the church by praying for its growth, by inviting the unchurched to attend, by warmly welcoming those who visit. I will share the responsibility of my church by praying for its growth, by attending faithfully. Well, I'm off base here. Oh, <laughs> somebody's going faster than I'm reading, that's for sure.
Let's start over with number three, okay? I will serve the ministry of my church by discovering my gifts and talents, by being equipped to serve by my pastors, by developing a servant's heart. You're going backwards, okay? I will support the testimony of my church by attending faithfully, by living godly life, by giving regularly. Whatever we missed, they believe. And I do too, by the way. So having heard the commitment these men have made publicly, and most importantly to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that's primary, but also important to be part of a local church body. And we thank the Lord for these men coming. If you would agree that they should become members of our fellowship, having completed the requirements for such, would you say amen? Any opposition with like sign? Now, I'm going to ask you to stand and stretch your legs, and if you would, come make your way here and encourage these men into the fellowship of our church.
This morning we're going to continue our look at the letter of Paul to the churches in Galatia. And if you would open your Bible to the book of Galatians, and we're going to read the Word of God and then seek to learn what God would have us to have knowledge of and apply it to our lives. We're in Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 25 today, which will serve as the basis for the morning message. I'm reading today from the New American Standard Bible and invite you to follow in whatever version you have with you. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. A word of personal privilege here before I dig into this passage of Scripture, and that is, it's been 51 years ago that a verse in this particular chapter of the Bible literally revolutionized my life. I had been a follower of Christ for a long time prior to that day, but when I read it, my eyes were opened in a way that they have been confirmed over and over again in terms of what kind of life God intends me to live. And that's not because I'm a pastor. It's because I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm what is commonly called a Christian. And that word is abused and misused many times because it's simply a label. So I prefer to think of the idea that I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope if you aren't yet, today we'll clarify what it means to follow him and what he has in store for you if you do. Verse 16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. One of my childhood favorite books was written by Robert Louis Stevenson, Treasure Island. And we know that Jim Hawkins is the primary character. This is a young teenager who has big ideas of what he wants to do with his life, And a big part of that big idea 
has to do with a map which he has found, which is about an island that is known as Treasure Island. And on it, there's an X which marks the spot where great treasure lies. If you know the story, I'm not going into it much further. He does find not simply passage on a sailing vessel, but he becomes part of the crew. And there's a lot of adventure associated with it. That was right down my alley when I was about a 10-year-old boy, excited about it. But when we look at this idea of what God wants for us, a treasure that is far exceeding any kind of treasure we might find in other relationships or in material possessions or fame, those things which are highly prized among worldlings, and they're not necessarily wrong in themselves, but they take a back seat to the treasure. And that treasure is God's Holy Spirit who mediates Jesus Christ to us. And God the Father communicates to us by the Holy Spirit, through the Word, and in every case, as we see what the Bible says, the focal point is Jesus and how to know Him and how to grow in Him. As we've studied the book of Galatians, we have discovered that there is a strong emphasis against what we would call legalism. And that would simply mean that we can contribute anything to our salvation. And once we are saved, we are not people who are any longer bound to keep the laws of God to secure our place in the family of God. It is by grace that we have been saved through faith, and that not of ourselves, not the result of work, so that no one should boast. By the way, legalism is not the only thing that keeps us from really being free. Do you know that Jesus wants you to be free today? How can we be free without the law? Well, this is what Jesus says in John chapter 8. He says, if you abide in me, and my word abides in you, you shall know the truth, and the truth sets you free. It's the truth of the Scripture that sets us free. And by the way, the author of the Bible, all aspects of it, is the Holy Spirit. He is described by Jesus in John 14 as the Spirit of truth, which means He is the one who can speak the truth always, but even more importantly, when we couple that statement in John 14 with the last two verses of 2 Peter chapter 1, what we discover is it was Holy Spirit that moved in the minds and hearts of the prophets of the Old Testament to give us what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. That same spirit moved in the minds and hearts of the apostles to whom we are indebted who gave us the 27 books of our New Testament. It's the Scripture which sets us free. 
Legalism is not the way, nor is what I would call license. What do I mean by using that term? License, I'm using it to describe how once we are set free from the law of sin and death by the work of Christ, then what? Some people, in fact, there were people in this church if you would look up at verse 13, we looked at it two weeks ago in chapter 5, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Isn't that great? These people were called to freedom. But what was happening there, these false teachers, legalists, Judaizers, they are called elsewhere in the New Testament, were coming in and adding to what God says is necessary for someone to be saved and therefore to be set free. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. Isn't the devil clever? If he cannot keep us bound up in our own efforts to make ourselves right with God, once we clear that hurdle, he'll begin to say, hey, live it up. Live any way you want to. Because I have set you free. Now here's the truth. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you really know Him, you will be a person who will all of a sudden be challenged by the Spirit's tugging at your heart when you get out of bounds as what God's will is. And what we need to understand is we are never free when we're operating in our own energy whether it's doing good things, trying to keep the law as we would call it, or just living freely in the sense no longer burdened by the responsibility. Look, when we come to Jesus Christ, He is the way. Have you noticed when you've read the book of Acts that the writer Luke records how the church was known as the way? The word way associated with the church of Jesus Christ is used equally, if not more times, than the word Christian in the book of Acts. And so Christ is the way that we live this life. Life as God intends it for you and for me is a life that does not depend on himself or herself. The Greeks had a saying in Paul's day, a free man is a man who lives as he chooses. That reminds me of a story I read about a senior in high school. He had senioritis very, very badly. And some of you can remember that far back. We have some people in the room who are not even 17 yet. But this young man got too big for his britches, as we say in Tennessee, and he thought he knew better than his parents. He was still in their home. He was still eating the food that the family provided, but he wanted to do whatever he wanted to do. But they said, uh-uh. As long as you're under our roof, you're going to live by our rules. Now, they were not an overbearing family, but he got so angry as they said, you can't do this, you can't go there, that 
he said in a burst of anger to them, I might add, he said, I'll show you, I'm going to go and join the Marines. So we know this young man was in for a real jolt. <laughs> no joke for him if he did follow through with that threat. The words that appear most frequently in this chapter and these verses from this chapter that we're looking at today are the words flesh and spirit. We're going to begin with the word flesh. On other occasions, you perhaps have heard me say a good way and a simple way to understand what the Bible means by flesh. It's not talking about that which covers our skin, our skin covering our flesh and the body. But what it is, it's self. Lop off the H, flip it, and you have the word self. Have you thought recently about how many times in our world the word self is used and how dangerous that is? Robert Louis Stevenson wrote many books, and when I was a boy, I saw a movie made in 1941, believe it or not, and the this character who was being played actually had two roles to play was Spencer Tracy. You ever look at some of his movies before? Maybe on the Turner Network or whatever. Yeah, well, he played the role based on the book The Case for Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And in that story, Dr. Jekyll was a scientist and he was quite gifted he was a man, however, who wrestled with the dual nature that he had, like everybody has in their lives. There was a good side and an evil side to him. So he wanted to explore the evil side and see if he could learn how to control the evil side. He concocted a potion, he drank it, and it worked. It turned him in to Mr. Hyde. And Mr. Hyde was an evil, evil person. I won't go into the evil which he did as it was represented in the book and in the movie, but when I saw it, I was probably 10 years old looking at it on my TV in my home, and it scared me a lot to see that and watch the transformation which would occur. He was aware that this alter ego of his was really getting out of control. And he was sitting on the bench of a park one day, and all of a sudden, as he was thinking about how much good he had been doing, he tried to make up for the bad that his alter ego, Mr. Hyde, and by the way, the word Hyde, as you might know, it would be spelled like Hyde Park in Great Britain. This is where it's set, H-Y-D-E, but on a play of words, it really meant H-I-D-E, that part of him which he was very capable of hiding when necessary from other people, that ugly side of who he was. But as he sat on that bench contemplating how much good he was doing, the result was that he changed without drinking any of the potion. 
And as you follow the story, if you've read it, you know, and if you've seen it in film, you know, but he got to the point that he had no control over that evil side. The evil side took over in his life. Well, Stevenson was raised in a Christian home in Scotland. And his parents were devout followers of Jesus Christ. They were of the Presbyterian persuasion. And he had rebelled against them. Later in his life, after he had declared himself an atheist, he had a conversation by mail with his father. And he told his father that he had had a renewal of his faith in God. It was quite a poignant letter. But in this case, we see that dual person, if you will, two people in one. And it's a picture of what happens when we insist upon ignoring the right for Jesus Christ to be our Lord. The idea of the flesh is that part of me that doesn't want what God wants for my life. In this verse 17 in this passage of Scripture, let's look at 16 and 17. But I say, walk. And let me pause here just a moment. Walk is a present tense command, which simply means this. But I say, keep on walking by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. There's the antidote, the serum, if you would, the potion. It's not a potion. It's a relationship with God by the Holy Spirit and trusting the Holy Spirit. I like Richard Lovelace's definition of the flesh. It goes like this. It's human personality apart from the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit and my life being run by myself without reference to God, the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit. It's just doing my thing is what it is. In this passage of Scripture, there is a rather lengthy list. I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but I do not want to ignore what we learn here. If you'll look at verse 19... The scripture lists these deeds of the flesh. As I count them, there are 15. The first category is in the area of sexual sin. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality. Listen to the way this word sounds in the language of the New Testament. Porneia. Can you hear a word group that comes from porneia? Pornography, pornographic. This was the general term for all sexual immorality as far as God is concerned. And not simply Jewish people who had the Old Testament, not even G Christian people. We would have been there and we would have known that this was out of bounds and we should know it's out of bounds. But it's any kind of sexual activity outside the framework of marriage any kind of intercourse outside the context of a marriage between a man and one woman is under this category. 
So one of the evidences of fleshly behavior is it is, as it's described here, immoral. Impure. Also, the word impure is translating a word which is a word which means dirt, filth, uncleanness, and here again, that would mean a form of immorality in sexual matters. Look at the next term, the third and final term, having to do with sexuality. It's a word which means sensuality, and that speaks for itself. We live in a very sensual age here in America. I doubt if there are many places in the world today where sensuality has not crept in and, like in our culture, dominates, actually, the thinking of so many people. And what happens when we are looking for the good life, remember, life as God intends it, he's the expert, as he intends it, would be a life that is pure as far as our sexuality is concerned. Let's look at the second group. This group has to do with religion. Look again, this time at verse 20, idolatry. And if you were to study, and some of you have, the book of 1 Corinthians and the historical context of that, what you know is there was a big cult of sexual immorality there, and it was around the Greek goddess Aphrodite. There were three, three separate temples there, and that seaport city had been associated with sexual immorality. In fact, if you wanted to talk about someone who had gone off the rails into deep sexual immorality, you would say that person has been Corinthianized. And that does not mean that the person had been to Corinth. It was just a term that was related. Idolatry in the Old Testament. Who is the leading God that we encounter in the Old Testament? Baal or Baal, as we say from the south. Baal, Baal. And then at the counterpart is his consort. They had to do with fertility. Fertility of the land, but sexual immorality as well. So idolatry. Look at the second word that has to do with religion. Sorcery. Listen to this word as it sounds in the New Testament. Pharmakai. You hear a word that comes from that or a family of words? Pharmacy, right? Has to do with drugs. Timothy Leary came to my mind early this morning. I hadn't thought of Timothy, and I don't think I've read much about it, but I remember he was a guy who was leading the way for hallucinogenic drugs. Remember that? Psychedelic stuff. He made a trip to Mexico. I don't know if he came through El Paso when he made that trip. But he went there and he was experimenting. He talked to shamans and he learned that they use peyote to help enhance their embracing of their best life. Well, we do know that these two things went hand in glove, idolatry and sorcery. A third category is 
something to do with our temper. And I'm going to just talk a little bit about these things. Again, the first is a word that is mentioned here, enmities, and this means hatred and hostility. There's no place for those traits in the life of a person whom God has selected to be his or her, be her, his child. Strife, this word means discord. It's the opposite of unity. Then jealousy, I don't think that needs much description. It's a very good translation. The word translated jealousy, zealous, it's the word from which we get our English word zealous. And if you're jealous, you're zealous, right? You're wanting to protect what is yours in a relationship. Outburst of anger is another one. This really means fits of rage. People who, in a heartbeat, I mean, you can push the wrong button and all of a sudden there's this outpouring of anger. Have you ever been in the room with someone who has done that? It's quite frightening. It has nothing to do with Jesus, that's for sure. And that kind of outburst. We know Jesus got angry, but he had control over that anger. Look at the next word that's used here. Outburst of anger. That's the one we just looked at. Looked at. But another one is disputes. Disputes. That word is closely akin to selfish ambition. And quite frankly, all ambition, if you understand the concept of ambition in the biblical sense, all of it is illicit. It's not right. The Bible says in the Philippians chapter 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Moving on to the next word, the word dissensions, and that word captures. It's the idea of mob mentality. We've been seeing a lot of mob mentality here, haven't we? in the last six weeks or so in our country. Mob mentality. That is the work of the enemy. And people have that. That's the word. There's no civility, no reasoning. And then the next one that's mentioned here is factions. And that word is a good translation. Doesn't need much explanation either. It's that which really means heresy is what it means. In fact, if you read the word in the original language, it comes out as we speak it in English or seek to transliterate it into English. It's heresies and factions. So the next group is envying and drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. So alcohol is also something that if it leads to drunkenness is something which results in our being in the camp of living a life that is a dead end. Remember, the life that God intends for you and me is not one of self-centeredness. 
It's not about me. It's not about you. Let's look as we finish our time together today at what is the goal that God has for us. And it is a life that is dependent upon the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. If we were to go to Acts 5, read it carefully about the episode Ananias and Sapphira, and notice that Luke reports that the Holy Spirit is referred to as He, not it. Jesus Himself says, I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper. And the word another does not mean another of the different kind, but another of the same kind. Another helper just like me. Jesus is not some impersonal force, is He? The Holy Spirit is referred to, and we don't have time this morning to look at all the references, but research will reveal Holy Spirit is not an it. He is a person. And He is a person who indwells everyone who has received Jesus Christ. Obviously, Jesus can't fit His body down inside mine. Oh, He could, but what would be His station in life, it would be only in one human being again. And he says, it's to your advantage that I go away. That was hard for the apostles to hear. But was it for their advantage? Absolutely. Because he could be with them when they went off on their missions as he commissioned them to go off. And no matter where they found themselves, wherever they were, who was there with them? Jesus Christ in the Spirit. The Bible says in Romans 8 9, if you do not have the Spirit of Christ, you do not belong to Christ. Now let's make a distinction. Holy Spirit and Jesus are two ex members of the Godhead, both of whom, according to Scripture, indwell us. They have different functions, but they do indeed indwell us. So the use of the word Spirit. We're to keep on walking by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is how we live the life that God has called us to. It's not by might, by my own cleverness, but by the power of the Holy Spirit that God might use you or me to represent Him and to live the life that He designed for us from the beginning. Look at 17, the flesh sets its heart against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. This is the verse which literally God used to set me on a, a new pathway that by His grace, I have been a man who has been infringed upon by my own flesh over the last 52 years. More than one time, I'm glad I haven't kept track of them except to confess them when I'm aware of them and believe what God says that if I confess my sin he is faithful and just to forgive me and purify me from all unrighteousness but the life he wants us to live is one of progression that's what the word walk means here look quickly down to verse 25 if we live by the spirit let us also walk by the spirit one would think that the word walk in 25 would be the same word 
in the original language of the New Testament, the Greek language that is used by Paul in verse 16. That is not the truth. The one in 16 is the word peripateo, which is a compound word which means to walk around. This word is a military term that's used in chapter 25. If we live by the Spirit, it means get in line behind the Spirit. Get in line. Follow Him. March to the cadence of His voice and His will. That is what we are to understand. In verse 18, the Bible says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. May I make a suggestion? And it's a correct suggestion. The word translated if, according to the grammar of this statement, should be translated for our understanding since. So let's put that word in there. But since you are led by the Spirit, what does that say? If you know Jesus Christ, He lives in you, and you are led by Him. Those impulses, those inclinations which come into your mind, those messages that come into your mind when you read the Bible, those are things, or you meditate on Scripture, or Scripture which you have read before come to mind. That's God's Spirit, and He leads us by the Word of God. The same construction grammatically is found in verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, put the word since there instead of if. Since we live by the Spirit, let us also keep on walking by the Spirit. We're to be men and women who walk by the Spirit in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. So the life God wants for you and me is not a life of centering in me or you, in self. But the life He wants for us is one that is characterized by submitting our lives to the Holy Spirit, getting in touch with Him as we walk this world. Let's look quickly at the evidences, and you're familiar with these. These need less explanation than the deeds or works of the flesh. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. That means the greatest of loves. It's the sacrifice of self in support of unloving, lovable people. God owes us nothing. He is love. He owes us nothing. But He demonstrates His own love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That gives us a picture of that kind of love. That's the kind of love we are to have. Husbands, we are to lay down our lives for our wives just as Christ laid down His life for the church. We're to love our wives that way. That's impossible, isn't it, guys? Not because of our wives, but because of our flesh. But what the Lord does, He lives in us. And one of the evidences that He lives in us as we are controlled by Him, not by our own drives, but by Him, He gives us the power to love them unconditionally. Now, ladies, I'm going to talk about something that's not actually in this text, I don't think. Probably it is in the rest of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. But do you know you're to submit to your husband and respect your husband unconditionally too? 
We don't talk about that much because we're afraid we're going to offend the women and we won't have any women in church next week. But this is the truth. And you have a role to play in your relationship with your husband that is very important. I would say the husband's role is most important because he is called upon to love you like Jesus. But yours is all so binding. Pray about that. Let's get back to the others. Joy. Joy is not the same as happiness. Joy is independent of experiences or circumstances. We could go into that in more detail. Peace. This undoubtedly has its roots in shalom, the word in the Hebrew language that's translated peace often. And shalom did not mean simply the absence of conflict. That's what we as Westerners typically think. Peace is the absence of conflict, and that's a big part of it. But it's all that is best that God has for us in our lives. Patience, the King James, I love it, long-suffering, because this word translated patience comes from a compound word which combines the Greek word for long and suffering, macro, and then the word for suffering, long-suffering. This is a withering kind of list when I read it. Kindness is another thing. And then the next word is a word that sounds like Christ, actually, and sometimes is confused for Christ. There's one letter difference instead of the I or the iota in the word Christ. There's an epsilon, Christotes, instead of Christotes for a Christian. So it's kindness. Jesus was so kind. And wouldn't it stand a reason if Christ were kind in his ways of relating to people on earth, that if he's in us and Holy Spirit is dwelling us and we are yielding to him, we're being led by him, that we would be like that also? Goodness, this applies to all of us, male and female. Goodness, that speaks for itself. Faithfulness, faithfulness to God, but faithfulness to one another too. These are relational terms, actually. Can you imagine living with people like this all the time who are loving unconditionally, joyful all the time, peaceful, patience? When you offend them, they don't just fly off the handle or sull up somewhere and go into their hole until you come and try to make amends and sometimes they don't forgive you then. Remember this about forgiveness. That's part of love. Ephesians 4.32 says that we are to be people who remember how God demonstrated his love to us while Jesus was on the cross. And he says, be kind one to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Let go of your anger. You want Jesus to forgive you, I know that. If you were in the same situation, you'd want to be forgiven. Do what the Lord says. Let the Holy Spirit give you the power. Say, Holy Spirit, help me to be faithful, to forgive. Gentleness, self-control. Here again, these words 
are good terms in their interpretation by the Bible writers, again, translators, against such things there is no law. Praise the Lord for that. So as we finish today, you've been very patient. As I finish today, I want to give you a couple of quick suggestions. Romans 13, 14 says, <clears throat> make no provision for the flesh. Be alert with this list of things. Go back and think it over. Ask the Lord to reiterate, emphasize those things of the deeds of the flesh. Think about it. Don't make room for those kinds of things. Rather, submit to the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit will be in your life. And we're not to limit it to one aspect of it. All aspects are relevant to you if you know Christ and you want to live life as God intended it to be lived in dependence upon the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. So do that for sure. And here's a last word. There is a story that is told among the Cherokee Nation about an elder who's talking to his grandson. And he talks about how life is like two dogs. And they fight each other all the time. And the Cherokee elder was asked by his grandson, grandfather, who wins the fight? And the sage says to him, the one we feed the most wins the fight. Look, we're meant to be winners, and we are. And the way we win is by trusting in Christ alone. In Philippians 1.6, this is so encouraging to me. I hope it will be to you. Paul writes, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Who began the good work of salvation in you? None other than God himself by his Holy Spirit. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Then later in the book of Philippians, Paul writes, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Wait a minute, Paul. In Galatians, you say we can't work. But that command means this. Listen to the Spirit. Be a man who rejects the deeds of the flesh and who embraces the fruit of the Spirit. Let that be the mirror of the Word of God. When you look at it, you say, is my likeness anything like this? That is a good thing to do. John R.W. Stott, a man who has influenced me tremendously in his writings, he is with the Lord now, but he said, my quiet time every day, I would go through all the fruit of the Spirit and meditate and say, Lord, did I fail you in one of these areas today? A word to the wise is sufficient. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you. Who is doing this work? We are led by the Spirit. He leads us. Sometimes we drag our heels, but He leads us. And He wants to use you to glorify Him. And He wants you to have life as He intends it. 
which is, as Jesus said, more abundantly. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the word of God. Thank you for speaking to me as I've even taught this today. And Lord, help me to be not just the bearer of good news in the way I talk or teach, but may, Lord, you fill me with your Holy Spirit regularly and that I might walk in a way that will glorify you in representing Christ to the world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.